Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, you Sam. Wishly oh. Con- oh, sorry, Doug. Say, wishly- what is this? <laughs> Go home. Go away. I was, I was going to wishly contrive some humor for the intro again, you know, oh, before you start talking again. <laughs> so, this is why Brexit happened, Anthony. <laughs> 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 all right let's go hello so anthony said at the end of the last pod that this episode would be picking over the wreckage of game week three and wow was he ever correct one hell of a wild ride culminated in tonight's 3-1 liverpool victory over arsenal which left many managers seething in an unreal outpouring of emotion which we saw across social media so this week as advertised we will be picking over the said wreckage and trying to make some sense of the madness one man however who did benefit a bit from the madness as you'll hear um, in the game reviews is nick you're right mate hey tom my benefactor this game week was was party man jamie vardy the man who defies statistics sticks his middle finger up to people who talk about non-pen xg and all of that and, and bangs in a hat trick still it felt like a little bit of a one-man party considering the wreckage of everyone else's game weeks uh, yeah just to say who we are of course we are who got the assist and you know that already but you can find us on twitter or if you haven't followed us on instagram as well we're wgta.fpl and welcome of course to all new listeners make sure to hit subscribe if you like what you hear and join our mini league as well which has the code cpsulf so anthony how are you that's great to be back again um one hell of a week but uh we got through it <laughs> we can go again game week four will arrive in a few days time <laughs> and it will be better than this one presumably Hopefully. anyway Look, we'll move on to the agenda for this episode. So we spoke about it after game week one, but a ludicrous set of penalties this week have brought 12-yard spot kicks to the fore even more than before. So we're going to go back for a second helping, but from a different angle so that we're not repeating ourselves. If you want to get more info than what you get today, go back two episodes. Not only were there many penalties, though, there was also plenty of tiers with low scores the norm across the board as the template faltered again. So we're going to discuss how to react to this sort of week. And in a pretty jam-packed first segment, we'll also question what conclusions we can draw about teams and whether any of them are giving us cause for optimism after three game weeks. After the break, the league update, everyone's favourite section, correspondence. We've actually received a record number of emails to who got the assist at gmail.com this week. Hey. And uh, we're going to finish off the pod with the Q&A and our transfers and captains. Perfect. All right, let's get the game review out of the way. Um, we can both get up and walk off when Nick starts talking, Anthony. Yeah. Um, I, I'll start I, first. Uh, I got first. <laughs> I, I netted out with 36 um, after my minus eight. So that's a uh, 44 minus eight. 
I'm actually not too annoyed about it. I know that people might look at it and kind of think, oh, you know, that was a, that was a terrible decision, blah, blah, blah. Actually, no, I think my team's in good shape going forward. And crucially, because it was such a bad week for everybody, I feel like I've effectively hidden that sort of uh, mini course correction within the context of uh, quite a poor one for, for everybody on math. Stars for me, McCarthy got the clean sheet finally. Uh, Luke Ayling, Mo Salah and uh, Trent tonight got assists. I think Trent's on free bonus as we speak. And Richarlison was unveiled as the Everton pen taker but you know apart from that De Bruyne a spectacular blank as City uh, imploded and the hilarious sort of moment of the game week where Raul Jimenez uh, deflected in a Thomas Suchek a header Suchek actually benched him this week for Anguissa uh, from uh, Fulham so I can make Zamboni references um, but uh, yeah so Suchek's on the bench for six points and Jimenez came in as part of that minus eight uh, the other coming in was KDB so Jimenez got an own goal um, and got zero uh, just to round things off, which is absolutely ridiculous. I'm, I'm down to 1.4 or whatever, 1.5 million. But at the end of the day, my team's looking very good for next week. Um, maybe some, I could, you know, I could look at Martial and think I'll get rid of him, but I think I'm probably going to leave it. I've successfully hidden the minus eight. You know, it wasn't a good week. I'm not going to try to qualify it and uh, insult all of your intelligences. How do you do, Anthony? So that's a pretty optimistic take from you, Tom. Even though I got 46 points gross, 42 net, I'm not feeling as optimistic as you are. I kind of, look, the, the Werner captaincy didn't work out and that felt very bad at the time. But watching De Bruyne get two points, Aubameyang, who I'd sold, get two points, Salah only getting five, softened that blow to some extent. I guess the, the more annoying thing is that I had taken a hit late in the week after the Gabriel Jesus news came out to bring in Phil Foden for Thomas Suchek, who actually got an attacking return, which would have been very helpful in my team. And Phil Foden obviously got nothing. So Cadam, Penalty Wilson and Richarlison getting eight points each was helpful. Salah's assist and the Alexander-Arnold uh, points as well kind of hauled me along with his assist and three bonus in spite of getting a yellow card, pretty much proving vital to me on the route to getting 42. Uh, Ramsdale as well got four points, which could have been 11 points if he wasn't so rudely robbed of his clean sheet quite late on by Patrick Bamford. So I feel I'm going to wildcard soon. The plan was always to do it after game week four as we went into the international break. And I, I think I'll hold on long enough. The problem is that a lot of the players who I would have been selling to avoid price drops, they've already dropped now, the likes of Matt Doherty, for example. So I don't feel the same need to get on with it as I maybe would have done otherwise. So I'll hang on, do my best, but overall not too happy with the way things have gone. But at the same time, since everyone has done poorly, it's not the worst in the world. 1.4 mil-ish overall rank. Yeah, a good week to have a bad game week. But one man who hasn't had a bad game week, and we're about to storm off in in, in a flouncing fashion, isn't it? How, how did you do? Wait, sorry, look, bye, bye. I'll see you later, guys. Yeah, no, yeah I, I got six. I got uh, 63 points this week. Um, did take a minus four, so it's, it's 59 net. Um, uh, so, what are you even here for, Nick? Jeez. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a bad bad start. <laughs> Captain fail at the beginning, Timo Werner. Got me two times two, so that was a bit of a dodgy start. But, you know, the defence did pretty well. McCarthy got a clean sheet in goal. Luke Eiling um, got a wailing, got seven points. Luca Dean picked up six. Uh, Trent's got three bonus, so he got seven. In, in midfield, Podence, who I brought in on the minus four, joined that wagon. That didn't work out because he was injured. Um, didn't play, so I ended up having Mitchell come off the bench for one point. But, um, and also brought in De Bruyne, who got two points. So that, that wasn't great either. But Salah got an assist. And Suchek 
also returned, which is very nice. And of course, the main man, the man who brought all my points, most of my points, was uh, Jamie Vardy, 17 points up front, the uh, the party man himself. So overall, kind of recovered a little bit compared to like the shocker that I had in game week two, kind of a little bit back on track. So that, that's pleasing to see. And I guess it's, um you know, for those that are depressed about this particular game week, it only takes another game week and all of a sudden you're, you're back on top again. So don't, don't panic too much. Oh yeah, well done, Nick. I think as, as you said in the very first pod, there's a reason why you had Jamie Vardy, and yeah, it's absolutely proved five goals, point two five, I think it is MPXG. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Goals are goals, as we've said many times. Right, moving on to the market forces. Then uh, the movers and shakers this week. What's going on? How's the market initially reacted to what we've seen? Zero price rises yesterday, with eighteen players dropping in value. It shows that there's not really any standout picks because of the sporadic form of, of many of the FPL assets right now. But there's a few forwards that have caught the eye of many managers. So Calvin Lewin, he's currently the most transferred in forwards right now. Three hundred and seventeen thousand transfers in for him. Of course, he has five goals now in, in three games. So great start for him. Great start for Everton in general, who have um, looked really good so far this season. Lots of managers jumping on that wagon. He's now risen to um, he's seven point four million. He's probably going to rise again in the next couple of days as well. So. A lot of people jumping on him. It's also Vardy, 163,000 uh, transfers in. He is yellow flagged at the moment because he did um, have a bit of a groin injury near the end of the game. So that's perhaps um, preventing a few more from jumping on him. But West Ham and Aston Villa are home up next. Both of those teams just had amazing game week. They both just absolutely annihilated their opponents, didn't they? And the other forwards, fourth most transferred in player is um, Patrick Bamford. So we keep saying, when, when, is, when is this run of goals going to stop for Bamford? You know, he's defying the statistics, but maybe he isn't. Who knows? He could be the next Vardy, the next Danny Ings. He's got three goals and two assists to his name in three fixtures so far. And lots of managers jumping on him as well. 150,000 transfers in. Now 22.1% owned and 5.7 million. Yeah, it's, it's quite crazy actually looking at the DCL numbers. Like he's um, the second most transferred in player in any position is over basically half of has about half as many transfers in as him. So it's, it's pretty substantial how far ahead he is. And I guess the, the yin to his yang is Timo Werner being sold by 350 ish K managers. Um, that's the second consecutive time that he's been in the uh, topping the list for transfers out for attackers. And he actually has bigger sales now on Monday night at recording than he did by Tuesday of last week, showing just how annoyed people are by him blanking against West, West Brom. Tony Martial is, second in this and that's the second time he's been in this feature featured here uh, consecutively as well as one of the most transferred out forwards along with Raul Jimenez. Otherwise in terms of defenders Cassano he's the third most transferred in player right now 160,000 transfers in to Leicester's fixtures as I said turning a little bit of a corner on paper at least and he's already got three assists and, and one goal to his name as well so people loving the attacking defender there it looks like um our good friend Matt Doherty is the one that's making way for him for many a team. He's the fourth most transferred out player right now um, and the highest defender for transfers out with 67,000 transfers out. And finally, in the midfielders, so Son, he, he had a hamstring injury, unfortunately. He's the most transferred out player right now. 400,000 transfers out for him. In terms of the midfielders, few catching the eye. No one really sticking out. Um, James Rodriguez blank this week, but he's the most transferred in midfielder with 137,000 transfers in. Uh, Zaha, another player that also blanked, also being transferred in. He's got 130,000 transfers in that time of recording. 
few striking things there, actually. Matt Doherty, it's the third consecutive week he's been the most transferred out defender. Um, Son was by far the most transferred in player last week, and now he's going to be probably by far the most transferred out player this week. And yeah, it is just that James Rodriguez, I guess, in spite of blanking coming along there as the most uh, transferred in midfielder shows, I guess, along with the uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin popularity that really people are buying into Everton and almost no other team um, in terms of performances so far this year. Certainly, but it sounds like the hokey-cokey really is in the forwards at the moment, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it, with how things have gone. Cool, right, let's move on to the main sort of talking point this week. So as Anthony mentioned in the kickoff, there's kind of three things we'll be looking at, uh, which is kind of pen updates, pens revisited, how to react to a bad game. We can finally, is anyone any good? basically. Um, but this all comes under the overarching umbrella of, of the key question, how do we make sense of the madness? So obviously it's been quite a tough start to the season and you know, maybe the tale of Song Her Min being the most sold player, then the most bought player, then the most sold player encapsulates that very, very nicely. In terms of making sense of the madness first, I mean, we did get there first with the penalties, luckily, did that in game week one. And I wryly remarked then, God, we don't have to do this again. We might have to have a look at it, though, I think. Just to give an update, the state of the nation, the state of the pen nation, fantasy penalty league, to coin an original phrase, uh, to see where we are. Um, and basically where we are is that there's been 20 penalties in 28 games. Um, that's 0.71 penalties per game, extrapolated for the 480 games this season. That's 269.8 penalties. Unfeasible, but still absolutely mad, um, the rate that we're seeing them. Um for context, last season, 20 penalties were uh, conceded by the time we got to game week 11. Uh, so it's game week three this year, game week 11 last year. That was Gerald de la Faye's penalty for Watford in the Lundstram brace week. So that would have been November the 2nd. Um, so yeah, we're quite a long way ahead of last year already in terms of penalty awards. And this year as well, it's worth noting, there have been six handball penalties. There were zero at this point last year. There's definitely been a, a, a sea change, as we've all seen, all remarked on. There have been lots of kind of debates, lots of kind of moaning about basically the situation with VAR, the rules, etc., etc. I mean, Anthony, you were the man who was uh, ringing the death knell of, uh, of rationality, perhaps, uh, surrounding penalties. What do you think is going to happen next? While we're trying to keep as strictly on FPL as possible, I think it's important just to deal with the debate for just a second because some of the takes about VAR and about referees have been frankly ludicrous. Um, you'll find them on any television station or on any Twitter timeline near you. Where a player makes their body unnaturally bigger and handles the ball, where the hand is considered to be any part of the arm below the armpit, that is going to be a handball foul in the, if it's in the box, defensive handball, penalty. Now, it seems that any extension of the arms from the body, and that's like anything other than the arms against the body in your classic pencil dive, or where your hands are behind your back, anything other than those could amount to making the body unnaturally bigger. There is no room for the referees to apply common sense to this rule. They can't go over to the VAR screen and go, oh, mate, he didn't mean it. No, it's, there isn't space for that. Especially if you put your hands above your head like Eric Dyer did, that's an explicit no-no in the rules as well. It doesn't matter if he, could, he couldn't have known where the ball is or that he clearly didn't mean it. That does not matter. There is no leeway for common sense for the referees in this. Now, you tried to blame VAR for this. That's not fair either, because to blame VAR just is not correct. The rules have been carefully clarified in a way so that the answer to what is a penalty is easily worked out so that every referee in every game can apply the rule in the same way all the time. There are obvious benefits that come from that sort of certainty in the regulations and equal application in all circumstances. But yes, 
it also has created a situation where the results of games can hinge completely on micro infractions of the handball rule that are so fast or so minor that a referee would never spot them with the naked eye. Hell, even the team who are calling for the penalty may not realise that they should have had a penalty in the first place. But that is the way it is. It is not the rule that is stupid. You can't blame a speed camera for speed limits. You can't blame VAR for the handball rule. People need to kind of get over that. Now, when it comes to talk about reform, that's pie-in-the-sky stuff. Persistence with frustrating rules has been a feature of the VAR era. For example, the armpit offsides. What we've seen is that our understandings of rules become clearer. The rollout of the rule improves as well. Like we, have, we don't see the zany lines on our screens anymore. We move on. That's going to happen with penalties too. There's also evidence from Germany, and this is what's going to be continually pointed to, where the current handball rule has operated there for two full seasons. And I've adjusted these numbers to deal with the German 340-game season versus the Premier League's 380-game season. But basically, in year one, German handball penalties doubled from 19 to 38. In year two, handball pens awarded went straight back down to the old level to 19. So defenders basically adapted their behavior. Defenders are going to just have to get used to not putting their hands above their head as they jump. They're going to have to get used to defending with their hands behind their back. And this is just here to stay. The game isn't gone. The rule's here to stay. I did comment after, I think it was a Joel Ward one, that there's maybe if you were a a cynical manager, you may kind of be charging your players just to aim for the hands in the area. But as you say, the rules are here to stay. But Tom, I've played field hockey for years and a feature of field hockey is that if you hit the ball against someone's foot, you get a foul. If it's in the D, you get a thing called a short corner. And the fact of the matter is that's just how the game is played. I don't think football is going to go that way because you can actually put your hands behind your back. You can't. The mm. problem with hockey is you can't lift your feet <laughs> up and levitate. So it, it stays as a feature. It's, it's, it's going to be fine. But yes, yeah, it will yeah. be, of course, a tactic for a bit. I, I think it's probably just it's, it is magnified, isn't it, by social media. And people love to jump on the bandwagon, especially if it's a bandwagon of outrage and a bandwagon of change. And I'm not going to go into this because that's not what we're here to talk about. But I, I broadly agree with you there. Um, but let's move on to the FPL ramifications because after all, that's what we're here to talk about. And uh, Billy, uh, the kid, aka FPL Dougal, asked a good question here because obviously it's been, it's been everywhere. Like, how are we going to do this? I saw you know, FPL General did something like this, FPL Heisenberg, something like this, just popped up, you know, uh, a front eight of all penalty taking players and something like that. Like, is that a viable thing, do we think? I mean, Nick, is it all about the pen takers now? What, what's your opinion on that? think there's actually quite a lot of correlation in terms of the assets that we're looking at anyway and whether they're penalty takers or not I think certainly I look at the players that I'm targeting right now as a replacement to Werner who's probably going to be leaving my team and I'm looking at Jimenez and Ings and it's just a factor and it's a very positive factor in their favour of course but it's just a factor that they both take penalties for their teams. So Danny Ings is on penalties for Southampton, Jimenez is on penalties for Wolves. And that is something, of course, that I do need to consider, especially considering what's been happening in the last few game weeks and how we've seen the rule change has affected um, the Premier League. So the, it's not the be-all and end-all of FPL. It's not going to morph into fancy pen, penalty league where we only look at the penalty takers you know, and screw the rest of our team um, there's going to be players that do emerge at their clubs that aren't necessarily on penalties that we're going to consider, of course. But, you know, based on based on current evidence and based on what we've seen so far, I think when you're making your transfers, it is something that certainly is going to be at the forefront of most FPL managers' minds right now, isn't it? 
Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I um, did a little bit of work on this just to just to chest that out a little bit because you said there's a correlation, there's an overlap between people who are on pens and people would be targeting anyway. Uh, so to do this, I ran the list of penalty takers through talisman theory, basically. And the idea behind that, of course, uh, talisman theory, that is, if you're not familiar, is that you should target the the key FL point scorers in, in teams and your transfers in. And the overlap is pretty striking. So uh, Arsenal's talismans or Bami Angles for the pen taker, Villa, Grealish, Pentaker, Morpay, Brighton, Pentaker, Burnley, Wood, Pentaker, and so on and so forth. Basically, um, 13 out of 17 uh, clubs' talisman are also the Pentaker. Uh, throw in Pookie and Dini from last year, and you've got 15 out of 20. And two uh, clubs, uh, Man United, Bruno, and Newcastle, Wilson, you'd expect them to be the talisman anyway. So basically what it boils down to is that the Pentaker already tends to be the best FPL asset on the team anyway. So it could be said that looking at pen takers is you know, a, a brand new way of looking at FPL and changes the zeitgeist and changes the models that, um, that dictate what we should be looking at, but that's not true at all. Um, basically, buying pen takers isn't insight at all. It's just reframing the oldest bit of advice in the book, which is buy the best FPL players. And as you said in the game week one on the penalties pod, it's a bonus measure which amplifies the points potential of players who already have high points potential through penalties. Historically, I suppose, Tasman and pen takers are basically the same thing. Good players and pen takers are basically the same thing. It's quite interesting that actually, but it, it does make sense at the end of the day. It's, it's usually the guys who get the goals that are the talisman and usually the goal scorers are the ones that take the penalties. It's all quite logical. So to layer on top of all the research that we've already done, I've done further research uh, with regards to penalties. So as we, we, like we talked about it, that there, there have been only uh, 20 penalties so far this season. Six of those were handball penalties. Estimates, we talked about a few weeks ago what the estimates were in terms of number of penalties. And we were expecting about 10 more handball pens to be awarded in the Premier League this season. Yeah. We're, we're on course to, to break that number. Yeah, uh, six, six already. <laughs> yeah, we're six, six already and we would definitely break that 10. So I looked at match penalties per match day in La Liga and Serie A last season where they were implementing this rule. Five penalties per game week was pretty normal. And that rate didn't drop off as defenders adapted their behaviours or anything. Uh, Serie A game week 30 actually had 10 penalties in one game week. So that's yeah. uh, one penalty per game. Basically, the idea behind all these algorithms was that there would be about 22% more penalties scored and awarded in the league. Now, we talked about the record being 106 a few weeks ago. If we were to put 22% onto 106, we're talking to about 129 penalties. And uh, look, I guess that's possible. That would be a pretty big increase, but maybe that's the, the limit in this. Um, I looked as well at penalty distribution across teams in Italy and Spain, in Serie A and La Liga. And what we don't have is some sort of conspiracy by FIFA and the higher-ups to protect uh, the top teams. It, what we actually see is that there's a very mixed set of teams that are awarded the most penalties under this system. For example, in Italy, Lazio, uh, who finished fourth, had 18. Genoa, who finished 17th, had 16. Lecce, who were relegated in 18th, had 15. Juventus, 14, who obviously won. And Roma, 14, they finished fifth. La Liga, similar story. So this isn't a buy pen takers from the top teams. It's just if you're thinking about pen takers, just because they're from a top team doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get more penalties. Though at the same time, if it's a team that has Wilfred Zaha in it or a team like Manchester United, which has had a proven pedigree of winning penalties in the old system, Leicester the same, then of course you would think they're probably going to get more penalties than most teams anyway. But it certainly isn't a thing that, let's say, 
Newcastle will get very few penalties. No, they, they probably will get a few. Cool. All right. Yeah, I, 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 see, what you, I see what you mean. And, but I guess, again, it's, it's kind of pentakers and tellers and probably one in the same moment. I don't think we have any anomalies. Maybe Jorginho at Chelsea, if he's still on them. Mili Vajovic at Crystal Palace. Um, Ayu did take 1B. He wasn't on the pitch, was he, Mili? Um, but I think they're the only two anomalies in the league. The rest of the time, you don't have like a designated pentaker. doesn't offer anything else at this moment in time. So no ball? Yeah, maybe Noble. I think I don't know if Antonio would just be on them full stop now because Noble seems to have become like a bit of a bit part. Uh, there's, there, there's, there's some people are living in a pipe dream that Suchek would be the penalty taker as well. I, I yeah. saw he has pedigree. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough, man. He did, did take penalties in, in the Czech Republic, indeed. Um, yeah. yeah, that would be that would obviously be ridiculous if, if so. But anyway, I think the key outtake, um, hopefully this last time we talk about penalties, lol, um, is that penalty takers and penalties are here to stay as a factor in the Premier League and I suspect that as the season rolls on, if the rate is sustained as Anthony has suggested from other leagues, it may well be and we're just going to have to get used to it and maybe we'll see these sort of uh, melodramatic outrages decrease and decline over time a little bit at least. Just it will, it will hopefully change next time PGMO or next time FIFA can have a look at it. But at the moment, it just looks like it's going to be how it's going to be. Right, let's take a break there and then move on to the second part of the first section just to let that all sink in. Reaction to a bad week. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Right, so we're back. And to continue our How Do You Make Sense of the Madness podcast, we've had a look at penalties. Penteg is here to stay, get used to weird, vary pen handle rule stuff we're on to reacting to a bad week because obviously this week there was outpouring of grief anger teenage angst on the timeline it was basically like watching the episode of the oc and um, given some of the teenager sadness that i was seeing um but yeah i mean how do we react to a bad game week is probably a good one to talk about here daniel mackie has asked how do we recognize a good team that's had a bad week and a bad team in general it's probably a good point to start here i think just because i, I think there's a lot of people kind of saying oh my team's actually terrible you know i've scored 20 points 30 points i think the reality is if you're listening to this you, you wouldn't be making bad decisions really you won't be making obvious areas like choosing defensive midfielders putting Kante on your team or something the majority of the time i suspect you will just have a good team that's had a bad week what do you guys reckon to that as a starter? I'd agree with that exactly. When I read the question, I kind of phrased it in terms of actual football teams as opposed to your to your FPL team, but it kind of worked quite well with the fixture set that we saw this game week anyway. For instance, you, you might have Manchester City assets in your team and they obviously got thrashed 5-2. Doesn't suddenly turn Kevin De Bruyne into a, a bad player or a bad FPL pick, same with Raheem Sterling. And you can say exactly the same for the Wolves team who... You know, it was a freak result, essentially, losing 4-0 to, to West Ham. But it it doesn't suddenly mean that Jimenez is going to be someone you've got to get rid of straight away because he's got to put them at home up next. And, and same with the Wolves' defence as well. They all got zero points, didn't they? But you keep some faith in them and they're probably going to return, hopefully, for you next week. So it doesn't suddenly make Wolves a bad team. We've been watching them a couple of years now and they, they've been brilliant in the Premier League, haven't they? And uh, However, on the other side of the fence, you know, we are noticing a few trends. Fulham conceding three again tonight. But, you know, this is not a statistical anomaly. This, this is evidence that they are a bad team. They're probably going to struggle all season. And um, with that in mind, with your Wolves players, continue to own them and, and certainly target Fulham for next week. 
I would say the Wolves' result was an anomaly, and I think just given that it's Fulham up next, if they had a, a bad set of fixtures coming up, I might be saying something totally different. But when it's Fulham coming up, who are definitely worse than Wolves, I think there's no reason not to keep the faith. I think another maybe conclusion you can draw is that Sheffield United are going to struggle to score goals this season. They're just really lacking in that department. And Liverpool are still good. They've been consistently tipping away as well. So... There, there are a few things that you can definitely look at in the league and not get too concerned about. And within your own side, I think, provided there weren't injuries or something cataclysmic happening to your squad, you shouldn't really feel too much differently about them after a bad week. It's, it's easy to panic. Like A lot of people pulled their wild cards this week and still ended up with 30 or 40 points. That's all right. That's all right. It was a really weird week. Basically, nobody's captain scored any points as well. And captains do pretty much help the average up by 10 points or 20 points a lot of the time anyway. So... Just hang on, it'll be okay, and just keep watching. <laughs> just given our experience, we've all finished a lot of seasons, and Nick and I have certainly been doing this podcast for since the fourth year. And obviously, Anthony, you were you were dossing around before you came on board full time, like I'm writing here for a year longer, I think. Yeah, I mean, do you guys think our experience, or at least the time that we spent on doing this, or being part of the FPL experience, as it were, has has changed how we feel? bad game weeks do, do we still feel kind of the anger the angst as strongly as some still evidently do so i i don't think i do how do you guys take having a, a not great week so, so i thought i'd grown completely insulated to it over time i think there was a stage where i kind of was uh, attached some sort of importance to making sure i was able to you know be like oh another good week for you know your favorite fpl correspondent and then that definitely died away during my first season on twitter which was a colossally poor season for me that was the leicester season so 2015-16 and after that i just kind of disassociated my emotions further from fpl I think what's different now, and I think maybe what makes a bad game week more acute, is uh, the context of COVID, meaning that there are just far less interesting things going on in my life, which means that FPL and the football and enjoying the football and enjoying the FPL matters on a, you know, a scale of importance in my life. It is probably higher than it probably not, you know, healthily should be. And so maybe that makes bad game weeks that bit more acutely painful and maybe when the overall backdrop to football is so negative and games gone and var and blah, 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 it it, it kind of makes it a bit more difficult to enjoy it but at the same time i'm i'm not kind of devoid of an objective look at this and being like okay i'm quite happy with my side i still have plenty of good players in my side and so i'm doing my best to limit maybe those external factors that are probably influencing me thinking this game week is bad more so than it was already a bad game week mm. no absolutely absolutely I mean, nick you're fairly sanguine when it comes to uh, fpl game weeks aren't you i mean last week you didn't have that good a week and you weren't particularly talkative i think that's probably kind of the, the, the extent of it you weren't um, devastated were you no i mean i was frustrated at the time and you know it, it wasn't i wasn't particularly happy but I think ultimately everyone feels this way to a certain extent. It is human nature, isn't it, to feel disappointed when, when things don't work out. We're all essentially competitive beings by instinct. We may claim not to be, but we're all ultimately trying to win this game or achieve as many points as possible and, and get the best rank at the end of the season. And when things don't work out, you'll naturally feel frustrated, especially considering a lot of pe- a lot of managers, especially engaged managers who listen to the pods, will spend quite a significant t- amount of time trying to do research, trying to pick the best team. You know, it's not a case of like many of their friends who might even have beaten them this week who literally log in, two minutes, make a change, done, that's it. 
quite a lot of engaged managers spend you know hours and hours of their week looking at FP, their FPL team, talking about FPL, studying statistics, listening to podcasts. So when it doesn't work out naturally, you know you're unhappy, aren't you? Yeah, it's a little more galling, isn't it? I think in terms of in terms of like the reaction and how to react, I think the best reaction is in terms of just trying to move on quickly, isn't it? Start planning ahead for the next game week, or even if if you're that feeling that down, you know. Do another hobby. Try and find something on TV that will entertain you. <laughs> Take up painting. And, and <laughs> yeah, give up. Not give up FPL, but I mean, just like engage yourself in, in something yeah. else. To, take up, yeah, take up skateboarding, <laughs> drinking or smoking. Yeah, yeah. entertain. Yeah. Find some other form of entertainment, maybe could, for at least the short term, at least until you get to the next game week, and then then all of a sudden you have a great game week, and you and you refound your your vava foom or whatever. Yeah, just don't be that guy who doesn't say anything if he's had a bad week and then won't shut up if he's had a good one because that's the lowest of the low, in my opinion. Anyway, um, on my just to add my two cents on this, maybe it's because I've had so many bad weeks by now, but I just don't feel it as much these days. I mean, I guess it's a sense of apathetic distance to some extent, but I just don't feel like I'm kicking every ball and feeling every bit as bad luck um, as much as I used to, shall we say. Perhaps it's a defence mechanism, perhaps it's just me getting older and I've gone through the motions so many times, you know, that it just feels like I've gone through it all. I've seen it so many times, I've had lots of bad game weeks i've seen them i know it gets better i know that it will happen again and after a while you kind of think oh well what's the point in expending negative energy when i don't have to it sounds very zen but that's just the way it is i've just seen so many of these bad game weeks i mean my girlfriend yes folks i've got one said to me last night i think a great weekend on fpl and i was just like no it's been a disaster and she was like wow you know, that's so different because you used to just be like impossible to talk to and it's definitely true like in the first year especially i had quite a few like meltdowns about uh about how fpl was going uh, when i was doing wgta and don't get me wrong like i'm not mentally detached from fpl as nick put it i put a significant amount of time into my fpl through doing this you know tweeting thinking about my team i still feel nervous before a game week i still think about transfers and an inordinate amount sure i dream about it at least once a week but i guess emotionally you learn how to deal with a bad outcome in uh, a more kind of experienced way um, the more you do it and tools like I don't know reframing questions like why did I fail to am I happy with the decision I made also really help just to give you that mental peace of mind I mean um, when did you take up yoga um I took up yoga at the start of this year um, oh here we are there means. we go guys um, but there's nothing, your answer. Nothing, nothing to do with that um I, actually, I also discovered craft beer this year which has really helped me <laughs> but, <laughs> but um no in terms of in terms of the reaction doing nothing and taking stock is always quite useful especially on a week like this i mean i did take just take one and say i know so it erodes my sort of old patient zen sort of pedestal that i but that i'm preaching from but i mean with things so crazy with an international break coming up it is one of those weeks where if in doubt do now and i i don't know i i think it, I, I find it very difficult at the moment to think that any outcome is going to occur uh, with confidence so off back of my say particularly, I'm probably going to be doing nothing, batting down the hatches. But who knows? Come Friday, I may have given him the siren call of Vardy rings or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got to, you've got to just, um, if, if you have a bad game week, just as I think there is some truth on Nick saying about going off and doing something else, getting your head away from FPL for a bit. Because if, if you do end up being one of these people who rages and rages and rages, you'll be gone by game week 10. It's a very long season. And if you, if you are feeling this bad in game week three, um, you've got to be asking if FPL is a game for you. 
so we've sandwiched the fluffy stuff in between uh, one bit of statty stuff with the, with the pens. Let, let's go back to our heartland of the stats. Is there any optimism out there? I mean, it's very topsy-turvy at the moment, isn't it? For example, West Ham went from being finished, you know, relegation candidates after losing 2-1 to Newcastle in game week one. Now 4-0 victors over Wolves in game week three. I mean, is it all variance? Do we have enough data yet? Um, FPL guidance asked us in light of poor results for City, Chelsea, Wolves this weekend, uh, you know, should we still treat them the same way still think we should double up and triple up on them um i mean nick you mentioned earlier on that you know these players these teams aren't going to stop being good teams and good picks overnight and i think that's probably true i mean is there anybody that you've picked up or any stats that you can mention that help answer this question we've only had three game weeks every single game week it feels like there's a new player trending or one player will have an excellent game week and then all of a sudden drop off the cliff the next Next game we've seen it with like Sosomin, for instance, and and you know Bruno Fernandez, for instance, as well had a great game week this week, even if he didn't have a great performance. But in terms of the the teams, there's there's a couple of teams certainly that have caught my eye. Um, I mean, one that I'm not going to labour on too much is Liverpool, who obviously they've looked um, fantastic going forwards, and have just looked at sort of the latest numbers in terms of the goal attempts after this game week, and they're 17 ahead of any other team for for goal attempts. They're nine ahead of any other team. For shots inside the box, for instance, uh, you know, so those sort of stats are, are proving that Liverpool once again are going to be fantastic offensively, even if um, they've looked slightly defensively suspect so far. But it doesn't matter in terms of those defenders that we all own because they're getting the attack returns as well. Otherwise, I think the more exciting team, perhaps the one that perhaps caught us a little bit more by surprise this season is is Everton. And you know, since I've played FPL, Everton have essentially personified underperformance, haven't they? They've always been a team that we've brought in one of these characters in, you know, like sort of Sigerson or Walker or someone and they've inevitably done absolutely nothing and we've got rid of them a few weeks later. But this season it, it does feel like there's a there's a little bit of a change with Everton. They they really, really have had a good start. I think obviously they've got world class manager in Anfilotti, which is probably doing them massive favours, but they've also signed up a huge name in, in James Rodriguez, which certainly we've seen that in terms of an extra dimension to performances. So, so far, they're four for goal attempts, 42. Um, interestingly enough, apart from Aston Villa, who some, you know, freakishly haven't conceded a goal yet, they've got the second best defence as well, surprisingly. They've only conceded three goals, but, you know, that just shows how many teams have um, struggled defensively this season. It seems like it's all about the forwards, all about the penalty takers, not about the defenders, because so many teams have been conceding goals this season. So I think with Everton and Liverpool, they're certainly the teams that have caught my eye. But as I said, too early kind of to do too much statistical analysis, very early for the stats, because there's, there's some teams that are really throwing some weird anomalies right now. For instance, West Ham and Brighton, they're joint second. They were top before the Liverpool game, but they're joint second for goal attempts with 44 so far. West Ham's supposedly meant to be a, a team in disarray, but the amount of crosses and chances that their defenders are creating for the likes of Suchek and Antonio, they're just you know, storming the, the statistics at the moment, aren't they? And, and it's a bit of a surprise, really, that. Looking at the data, it's going to be quite difficult to gain anything from it, pretty much as, as Nick has been saying. And no matter, I think, which way you pull the numbers, Everton are going to look good from an attacking perspective. Liverpool still look just fine. Spurs are actually ticking along quite well in terms of stuff like shots in the box, and Harry Kane in particular is. Uh, West Ham are actually oddly doing quite well on shots in the box as a statistic as well, but take that as you will. Uh, Leicester, for example, their numbers look quite good, but if you consider that they had five pens, you can, you know, 
take away the numbers and that it doesn't look quite as nice because three games is such a small amount of games that five shots in the box makes up a pretty big portion of any team's shots in the box. Like, for example, Liverpool have about 35. The data isn't quite in yet because we're so recording just after the game. Uh, like Attack-wise as well, you can also see that the likes of Man United are just not getting in the box enough. They've, um, in terms of shots in the box per game, they're mid-table at best City it's actually the same thing and Burnley as well I've adjusted because of course they've only, they've played less than other teams and they're just not that impressive but the eye test told you that already so the data isn't giving you any sort of deeper insight into any of that No I agree I, I think broadly no we don't have enough data yet and I feel like we should almost let the madness be a bit uh, watch the storm and accept our lack of ability to affect things too much Um I mean, you've got teams finding their feet, new personnel too. As you've both noted, you know, Everton, Liverpool broadly look good. Fulham look bad. West Brom can't defend. Uh, one thing that we are missing perhaps is a Burnley, Sheffield United or Wolves in terms of you know, defensive solidity. Um, no Tarkovsky for Burnley. Looks like he's trying to force a move of a very, very kind of mysterious toe injury he's refusing to let them have a look at. Um, Sheffield United, Jack O'Connell has, has a knee injury and he's out for a long time. And uh, Wolves uh, obviously look very bad versus West Ham. I think they're really feeling that Johnny injury as much as they're feeling a, a Matt D's departure. Uh, really interesting watching that West Ham game and Tim Spears in the, in the Athletic back this up as well. But the Wolves fullbacks just weren't sinking well and Bolly and almost and definitely a uh, game with one hero size were com- just totally exposed There's a fab image in the athletic article on this uh, of how four hours and, and Antonio had so much space uh, down the flanks to get into because the ball's back three was so narrow and the full backs just bombed on this is very it's something that we didn't really see last season outside of the project restart in terms of there being an indisciplined wolves team so you expect that to improve but basically it feels like it takes a little while just to get the feel of the season, which is why the first three pods for us, this is a very statistical or stats-minded podcast normally. Insight driven by data is our sort of tagline. Uh, But the first three pods tend to be a bit talkier from us because we haven't quite got the stats yet to kind of go into those sort of heartlands. But we will for next week, I think, game week four of us, four weeks. That's that's enough to start kind of going on with... um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, call it reversion to the mean, law of averages, or just you know quantitative data impact over the course of the last few years. But broadly, better teams are more consistent, and some kind of predictability should descend soon. Obviously, it's not completely predictable. We'd all be OR number one, and it's really boring if it is predictable. But put it this way, there's always storms, and we don't like to be caught in them. But who doesn't like watching the thunder, lightning, and the rain through their window? Eh? We just have to just part up with it. I think it's just going to be at least for one more week, a bit bizarre, and it should settle down uh, before long. I feel like I'm giving weather forecast now, but there you go. So in summary, how do we make sense of the madness? Uh, it seems like pen takers are here to stay. It seems like in terms of reacting to a poor game week, having a sense of patience, taking yourself away, taking yourself out of it for a little bit before you come back to FPL is a good idea. Absorb it and learn to roll with the punches over time. And is there anybody who's any good? Do we have enough data yet? I mean, there are a few kind of... Uh, eye test observations we can make um but it's probably going to need a little bit more time just to settle down there stick with it it's a great game and it's very rewarding if you do stick with it for the course of the season it is just at the moment very difficult to kind of uh, give any clear-eyed idea of what's going to happen um but you know before long it will return hopefully with a few more penalties for the game that we will enjoy all right let's take a break there and move on to the q a and correspondence after this who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got The Assist Mini League. Um, as I said earlier, if you want to join the league, the league code is CPSULF. And I'm just going to give a quick 
roundup of the top five or top six actually because there's two people currently joint fifth and it's worth noting as well that all of the top six none of them took hits as well so a lot of managers um, seem to be uh, happy with their teams not making too many transfers at the top and, and it's worked out quite effectively actually for all of these guys so so in joint fifth it's uh, Brian Magata and Mohamed Moussen uh, both scoring 239 uh, points in total, 59 points and 65 points respectively for their FPL team. So, so pretty solid scores all in all. In, in fourth was um, Darren Axton. He got 72 points this game. It was just, just an incredible score, to be honest, with uh, Team Timmy, Timmy, Timmy FC. And I think it was mainly that Vardy um, pick as well as sort of a Kane captaincy in Bamford that kind of worked out for him this game week as well as Robertson as well in defence. Um, in third, James Dayton um, stays in stays in third with dyslexia untied and um, he got 56 points uh, this game week. And then at the top, um, Hirsch Pandya has been knocked off the uh, top stop by um, um, he only got 49 points and the new number one who's, who's climbed up five places is Arbid Roshan with Winnie the Kapu. So he got 67 points this game week and he's now up to a total of 257 points in total. So having a great week. Again, that Vardy um, pick really, really doing wonders for him as well as um, a couple of interesting differentials like Mason Mount got him 12 points and Robertson and Trent in defence as well. Some solid stuff there. It's almost concerning to hear that, you know, some people are staying in around the top 10 already after this few game weeks. It's like, guys, give us a chance. We want to catch up. But anyway, let's uh, bring us on to everyone's favorite section, the correspondence section. Your chance to give your proper opinion, address something that was said on a previous pod or to start up a discussion on something close to your heart that you've been using. Uh, we have a record number of emails in this week, as I said earlier. So thanks to everyone for getting in touch. It's who got the assist at gmail. <laughs> whoa, whoa. The record, Tom. The, uh, thanks, everyone, for getting in touch to who got the assist at gmail.com, and you can send your letter there to get in this next week or the week after that. Anyway, this week's email comes from Shenzhen, China, just showing the global influence and reach of this segment from listener Danny Lyons, where he begins, Good morning, gentlemen. Greetings from Shenzhen, China, where we still have warm weather and where we are looking forward to the forthcoming Golden Week holiday. Good luck with that. We hope you enjoy it. I've been a regular listener for a few years now, and I'd like to begin by thanking you for your excellent output over the past years. Now, I've edited out a lot of very kind words from Danny here, just to avoid narcissism, but uh, thank you for those, Danny. Um, I've saved one important bit, though. I do like the concept of a correspondence segment during the podcast. Thanks, Danny. Now, would it be possible for you to discuss the statistics around hedging slash doubling up? So what's the purpose of hedging? A double return is always good, but whether it's from two players from the same team or two players from different teams, it really doesn't matter. The only reason I can think against hedging is that it may take up more space than when you were looking to include multiple players from a successful team. All the very best. Thanks again for the podcast. I'm thoroughly enjoying your coverage. Danny Lyons. Thanks, Danny. And also, thanks very much to uh, Joe Gruen for sending in an email. It'll probably be next week's correspondence. But anyone else, get your emails in for <laughs> who got the assist at gmail.com for more. Lads, thoughts on that question from Danny? Excellent. Uh, Danny, Nihao, Nijamriang. Um, uh, so, one mentor there. I'm not going to go through the whole thing in Chinese. Um, but anyway, I think that. Um, <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I Truly look- an international segment. Folks. Exactly. This is obviously something that's um, really interesting to us, just because it's something we've spoken about a fair bit. Um, I know Nick's got some proper like depth stats here, but I'm just going to kind of give voice to something, which is the kind of the, the idea of compound differentials that we've spoken about a few times on the podcast in the past, and that's obviously the 
owning two players from the same team to different to deepen the differentiation. So maybe a little bit different from hedging, um, but in some ways quite effective too as a as a way of sort of uh, um, making sure that you're kind of covering all the bases, as it were. Um, this is very effective, especially in defence. Um, so Liverpool defence, for example, this week, our friend Karam has this. We've got a question from him later. Um, so this year, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the most owned player in the game, 43.8% owned. Uh, when he does something, you're not likely to gain much. He's a bit of a, bit of a hygiene factor. Then you've had him, if you add in a player like Robertson and pair them together, then he has some extra points for you if Liverpool do keep a clean sheet. Only 40.89% owned the pair. So that's a compound differential having them both. So the idea is that you have A plus B, that means you've got less people who have that with you. Uh, defensively, it's more likely to kind of to come off because clean sheets are shared by members of the back line. But offensively, you can see that too. So you could hedge and say, right, having lots of fingers in the same offensive pie is a good thing. So, for example, Bruno, Martial, Rashford, Project Restart. Having Bruno on his own was a rank killer. We didn't captain him um, because of how highly earned he was. And short term, that abundance of attacking points was a real boon for us FPL managers because it meant a compound differential of two or three of them was a fantastic idea. And, you know, if you had Bruno, you might as well have had Martial as well because then you could have had some gain from Man United doing well. And um, Mala, uh, so Mane and Salah in the past would have worked too. Um, the other way around, if you if you are hedging, so I don't know, having a goalkeeper as well as the striker in one game uh, from opposite teams, that is. So you can say, well, at least um, I, this weekend, for example, I own Chris Wood and I own McCarth. Hypothetically, you're kind of thinking, well, at least I got a clean sheet out of that. Normal practice for me is to try to avoid that to some extent. And if that does happen, I hope that the lower own player does something. But yeah, I mean, Nick, what do you think about this? What do you think about hedging? Uh, what data have you dredged up? So it kind of links in a little bit as well with what FBL guidance was asking us in terms of whether we stick with our plans to double and triple up on, on these teams based on our reputations. And I think ultimately, I, I always do try and front lows on, on teams I know that can score plenty. We've, we've seen it a little bit this season. We've sort of the managers, I guess, being targeted the likes of Everton in game week two. We're, we're celebrating and we've seen it over the past couple of seasons, triple Liverpool, triple City, etc. Um, has done very well for managers that have loaded up on on those teams. So I looked at my game with one team this season. I did have triple Liverpool and a double Leicester, but that was it in terms of the double ups and the triple ups. And I certainly think with Leicester, uh, Liverpool, they proved themselves over the past few seasons that they are a team that you want to front load and hedge as much as possible. On um, so so sort of from a statistical point of view, I did have a quick look at sort of some of the historical um, teams of the year, I guess, um, and how they all. Formed in, and and the makeup of them a little bit as well. There were some really interesting cases, I think. So, for instance, the 16-17 season, it was made up of four Chelsea players and three Spurs players. So if you spent the entire season tripled up on Chelsea and Spurs, you'd have really done well that season. It was sort of the year of, sort of Ali Eriksson and Kane all doing well. And then you got 15-16 as well, another interesting case. So that was the year of Leicester, Arsenal and Spurs when they dominated. So if you had a team of Mares, Vardy, Fuchs, Otsal, Bellerin, Czech and Ericsson, Kane and Alderweireld, you'd have done exceptionally well and beaten me, essentially, if you captained one of those guys um, just based on those players alone, which, you know, was obviously a particularly bad year for me that year, but just shows the power of just finding those right teams and, and tripling up on them. And I did actually have a look a little bit in terms of defence. So, obviously, last season, we know that Liverpool defenders, they were the three top scoring defenders. That was the case the year before. Um, and it's actually, it's been every season since 13-14, where there has been two defenders out of three have been from the same team. So in 1920, I said the three top scoring defenders were Liverpool players, 
was the same in 1819. In 1718, there was two Chelsea players who were the top out of the three. That was Aspilicueta and Alonso, if you remember. 1617 was three Chelsea players. This was sort of the year of uh, Gary Cahill doing exceptionally well alongside Aspilicueta and Alonso as well. And in 1516, we go back to Arsenal, which was two, to Bellerin. Um, and also Petr Cech was in goal, so it's, if you include the keeper, that was free for them. And Koscielny as well. 14-15, you go back to Chelsea, years of Terry and Ivanovic. And 13-14 was the year of Coleman and Baines, surprisingly. But they were both very attacking fullbacks for Everton and they got a quite a few clean sheets. So that, that kind of proves, I guess, the point of... It's, it's too early to see that team at the moment. It's hard to call. It's probably going to be Liverpool again that just proves the kind of power of doubling up or tripling up in, in defence and on the same team just because you can pick those players if you can find that team that does go on that ridiculous run of clean sheets and also has some attacking returns from the defenders you can it really pays off in terms of um, hedging your bets I guess in terms of going for a, a double up in defence yeah I guess kind of to round off the section like there is always a zombie team that you could have made that would probably have finished in the world number one spot and you know it, it kind of really does give credence to this idea that you can just you know double up on a team that's good defensively or just have multiple attacks from the same team and obviously if, if you pick the right ones and that's the, the the challenge of fpl all the time if you're making transfers or whether you're hedging up or if you're having a zombie team you can do extremely well and so no more than everything it's context dependence and getting it right is important but hedging doubling up it's totally a viable strategy anyway we'll finish off this segment now danny thanks so much for emailing in who got the assist at gmail.com if you want to get your correspondence in for next week or the week after that or the week after that we have it's an international segment and it's growing in popularity so i just can't wait to see more emails streaming in think of like harry potter when all the letters are coming into the house that's it yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Um, and uh, I think we'll get to Joe Bruin's question uh, next week. But I mean, this question next, the first of the Q&A sort of touched on it anyway. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll go into more depth because uh, Joe did ask kind of a few more things than that about this. But um, the first questions are about wildcard timing. So um, Adagendran asked, with all this madness, should we just be holding on to our wildcard no matter what? And Matthew Derbyshire says, you know, he's working on a target overall score and he's still ahead of where he wants to be. Um, but he's had a diabolical week. He asked us, Is there, there's no need to panic, right? Hold my wild card, yeah? What is our view on the wild card? Anthony, you said before we came on that you were maybe getting close to pressing the button and our friend uh, Chris, FPL Awesome, we've just learned has pressed the button, so it is going on. Um, what do you think? So the thing is, I just feel like I can benefit more by waiting one more week and not being caught out by international break injuries and everything and COVID, which was a bit of a feature of the last international break as well. If I use my wildcard between game week four and game week five, I just feel like I, I could be setting myself up for failure if I use it right now. And so even though there are definitely fires I would like to put out in my team, like Matt Doherty, for example, I'm now classifying as a fire. I didn't classify him as a fire last week, but he is, he is certainly a flame at this point within my side. Um, there are these issues but at the same time if I act now I'll probably catch myself out and another week's worth of data as we were talking about couldn't do any harm either so with that in mind it's like just a little bit more patience seems like it could benefit me more in the long run and of course like if I'm wildcarding that's a that's a 10 week game week decision minimum really that I'd be taking if I do make that and with that in mind doing it now is just not the right time 
I'm not considering wild carding at this particular moment in time. Certainly, with the fixtures for my team in the next game week, it looks pretty strong. It looks a pretty decent setup. There's no chance this particular game week. I did consider perhaps game week five, perhaps as the wild card change, just because there's a little bit of a shift in fixtures um, for my team. You know, the likes of the Manchester City start to have some really good fixtures, and Leicester's fixtures are a little bit tougher after that. So it might be time to get rid of the likes of Justin, especially if Ferreira's coming back. So, I mean, that's potentially when I am looking to consider to wildcard. I certainly think, you know, we've seen in the last couple of game weeks, I guess some of the early wildcarders punished and, you know, they got punished severely this week and they've now also got that added um, element of the fact that they no longer have that chip in their arsenal as well. And that, that's concerned me. In regards to wildcarding, I'd rather kind of hang on to a chip and then at least I've kind of got it to play with a little bit later on in the season once we do have a few clearer stats, a few more obvious contenders that are players that aren't perhaps just, you know, on a one-week frenzy and are going to be solid picks for the whole season. And obviously as well, I know this is something you've looked at, Tom, um, separately, but there's also, we've got the the blank in um, game week 18 and the double in game week 19. So it might even be that if, if I don't find an optimum moment over the course of the season, I just hang on to it as late as possible to try and, um, you know, give myself an advantage once those blanks and doubles um, come into play. Yep, my explicit aim is to get to game week 16 and use my wild card then. That's my explicit aim um, because of what Nick's just mentioned with that kind of very difficult sort of transition uh, around that time. However, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. If my team needs it beforehand, I'll do it. I mean, I did take the mindset this week to try to preserve that wild card. I'm happy with that decision. I may well do that again. Um, but when I'm looking at, I think we said last week, it's kind of a minus 12. That's the sort of time I will start looking at wild carding. I haven't got that many fires at the moment. In fact, I've probably got not very many. Or not, I can kind of figure out like a Martial with uh, two free transfers over the international break. I prefer to get to game week 16, 100k, having used my wild card and need to take hits rather than being in game week 16, 1 million, having held on to my wild card through thick and thin. Um, I think that you can't get overly into a strategy. Sometimes you've got to be adaptable. If your team's really failing, you need to use that wild card and use it. But um, my express aim still is to get to game week 16 and use it then because it would be such an interesting and useful tool around them. But I completely understand why, you know, uh, Anthony, you go around game week four or, you know, uh, it sounds like Nick's more aligned with me, but, you know, whenever you use it, I'm sure you use it for a reason. You're not going to just be pulling it uh, willy-nilly, are you? Um, so, yeah, no need to panic would be my view. Um, but if you do feel the time is right, then um, I don't think we can really criticise that either. So there you go. Right. Next question, defenders of interest. So Isaac Dorgan asks if there's any decent defenders out there at all. He's got Tierney and he wants to replace him for some reason. And uh, Davy Peace mentions Castagne, who we mentioned earlier on, as looking perfect for that sort of role. Uh, what do we think? Are there any defenders who are looking of interest, uh, given the amount of goals that are going in uh, beyond kind of the usual TAA and Robertson? I think Castagne is actually quite a decent shout, isn't he? Yeah, I think Castagne, he's, he, he has had an excellent start to his Leicester career and he's been seriously involved in those attacks, hasn't he? But I was actually surprised to see that he'd only created three chances so he's, and he had three assists. So it, it seems like his sort of attacking output in terms of the underlying stats looks a little bit unsustainable considering what he's produced so far. Um, he has had eight penalty box of touches, which has led to those nice fantasy assists that he has been picking up on the side, of course, by being fouled in the box. Um, but otherwise, I think there's a few other fullbacks really caught my eye. I think Lamptey, he looks like a really, really good shout over the course of the season. Again, he's 
one that's got three assists um, despite only creating a couple of chances, getting those fancy assists from her penalties again, but it doesn't really matter. The fact is that he's getting those fancy assists because he's so forward all the time. He's getting into the box, um, you know, getting into those dangerous positions. And, you know, I, I liked Lampton at the start of the season, but because of Brighton's tougher fixtures, I didn't consider him for my team. But now I think the fixtures are going to start to turn a corner and he's certainly impressed in those opening fixtures at 4.5. He's someone that is strongly on my radar. Otherwise, um, you've also got Reese James, of course. Um, fantastic. Um, well, he scored, it's just such a weird stat that he scored zero points last game week, but still managed to pick up a bonus point. I don't think that's ever happened in FPL before. And certainly, no one's um, asked the question, no one brought up another player that's ever managed to achieve that. So it's a record there. But um, he created six chances, which is more than. Any other player this game week um, has had 30 crosses as well. So most in the league so far, certainly a player that is on my radar, again, in terms of defenders. And I also give a shout out to my man, Luca Dean, another player that's doing very well in terms of creating chances. Again, I, I know that Everton look a bit shaky defensively, but it seems to be the case for every single FPL team right now, doesn't it? And that, that stat that they've actually conceded the least goals bar Aston Villa is... Um, perhaps testament to the fact that they're not as shaky as, as we all think they are. Yeah, okay, Nick, I, I get all those. I'm, I think I completely agree with them, so I'm not going to go over them again. Um, I think just to throw a few kind of cheaper players into the mix, perhaps. I mean, at the moment, the stats are a little bit up and down. Um, but in terms of the eye test, I think one guy, I mean, I own Luke Ayling, but watching the Leeds game, I think that Stuart Dallas um, definitely was a lot more attacking as FPL Stag. Uh, don't know who he is, uh, some, some random bozo, but he wrote that in um, the Atlantic Football Hub um, that he was perhaps a little bit better than anything in terms of going forward. And he certainly seems to be doing very well in the underlying stats. I'm not going to cite them because it was only a free game week, so what's the point? Um, to a couple of other people to just mention quickly, um, Adam Webster, so everyone's been going on about Lamptey. But I noticed uh, from the eye test again um, that he was the man who was the main set piece threat. I mentioned in the last pod with uh, with late riser that that's the sort of thing that we look for amongst the cheap players, or at least I look for. And he was the one that all of the set pieces were looking for, either knockdown or just kind of being the main target. And um, he was also the highest scoring player last season, who was a 4.5 million defender this season. Um, so I'd be very interested in him going forward. It looks like he'll play 38 out of 38, and uh, in the same vein, concert. They're looking very, very defensively solid. And of course, top of that, you know, Castagne, uh, Reese James, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what do you think, Anthony? Honestly, you guys have pulled out all the interesting players. And I think what's most interesting to me about the defenders is the fact that pretty much already, in terms of defensive solidity, you couldn't say Liverpool are bad. And in terms of attacking returns and attacking prowess and attacking underlying stats, uh, the, the three big names, Van Dijk, Robertson, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, are already starting to you know, stick out from the pack to some extent. And so I guess it shows that the Liverpool double up in defence isn't necessarily as, it isn't necessarily dead whatsoever. And I think if you were wildcarding this week, or certainly when I'm wildcarding, presumably in a week's time, I think it will definitely be something that's, I wouldn't be ruling out doing just purely because they're just going to return those points all the way through the season. I think it, it leads into really another question that we've had from Radiohead Tim on value weighting. What his question really gets at is just, what is value and the fact of the matter is is that like there aren't very many attackers who are let's say six mil and over or who are going to be outscored by any of the forwards over the season Patrick Bamford included who has had a brilliant start in his time in the Premier League with Leeds but the fact of the matter is, is that is what he's doing sustainable 
it's it's questionable at least. And what we do know is that the likes of Robertson and TAA have that long term pedigree that you could kind of rely on. That if you were building a wild card team, that as I said earlier, you're looking at ten weeks into the future, you can put them in there, and you'll know that they're going to probably return your points. They'll get a few clean sheets along the way, and you'll probably be smiling at the end. Whereas with Bamford, you might be buckling yourself up for a bit of frustration. Certainly, I think that answered that question pretty well, actually. So let's move on to uh, Sonny's time up, um, Karam Tizer, who asked, I thought, on Son replacements, because obviously Son um, looks like he got, got he got hooked at halftime. It uh, looks like he's uh, got an injury, according to Mourinho, and obviously a lot of people have been selling him. Uh, we've got some indication from market forces, don't we, Nick, where people are going. But, I mean, if you own Son, what would you be doing? no real sort of standout pickers there in terms of the replacements right now especially around that price point it's a bit of an awkward price point 9.1 million so you'd probably be looking to downgrade so i think certainly if you've got a little bit of excess cash in the bank uh, bruno would be someone that would be perhaps on the radar but i think for me perhaps the main person i'd probably suggest is it's a little bit of a sort of a left field pick maybe maybe not but i'd i'd, I'd actually quite consider riyad Mahrez at manchester city I think, um, you know, he's 8.4, so he's a similar price point. With Sterling, uh, uh, not Sterling, sorry, with Aguero and Jesus both injured, yeah, Mahrez is, is probably going to start week in, week out, at least for the next few. So I think, you know, and he did pretty well as well in that opening game, his first game of the season against Leicester, where he picked up a goal and assist. So I think certainly he will, um, he'll be in Pep's plans and uh, could easily get you some decent returns. So he's perhaps the main one. I think the other two, we saw them in the market forces. The quick shower would probably be Zaha and um, and James Rodriguez, perhaps as, as two other picks. But Mares would probably be the one that I would suggest. Yeah, I, th- I think Nick's really kind of captured the the overall state of things there. I think Trossard just is a an interesting differential you could throw in as well. Um, hit the post, I don't know how many times at the weekend, and is just always seems to be quite good on the underlying stats. Does get the returns, and is only six million, so you could save up funds for elsewhere. I guess on the, the, the topic of Spurs and maybe just to throw it in is that I think Harry Kane is kind of a bit of a sleeper option there that people aren't looking at because he's only scored once. And like the fact of the matter is he is a penalty taker, but we haven't necessarily seen him profit from that status like the likes of Jamie Vardy have so far. But he's actually third for non-pen XG in the league behind Calvert-Lewin, of course, and Lacazette, which is a bit more of a lol, I guess. So I think if you were... Getting out of Spurs um, in the form of Son, I think you should definitely be looking to get Kane in, just to, not so much to cover yourself, but more because he's almost their main, only attacking outlet um, in the current circumstances until at least Gareth Bale returns from injury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, maybe. I, I think if it is just a straight swap, though, um, I'm not sure I'd be going to Lucas Moore or something like that. Um, no, no, it's, it's 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 go to Kane. Don't bother with the rest of them in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Makes sense. No, I agree. With, I agree with those recommendations. Um, I think the only one I want to throw in here is maybe Harvey Barnes. Um, just because they've got two pretty good games against double clarets uh, coming up, West Ham. Uh, West Ham Aston Villa isn't it and um, you know, he's statsing fairly well and the only time I use stats here I suppose so he's uh, had uh, the third most shots most shots on target the second most shots in the box and his XG is about Siv so he started the season pretty damn well uh, if you don't own Vardy as well he could be a really nice sort of Riker pick um, a foil to him um, it looks like sort of uh, those points are coming at the very least he's a uh, fifth as well on Fantasy War Hub's expected points stat um so he'd be one that i'd be interested in at least um in the midfield that is 
And if you're a fan of serious schadenfreude and believe in it, then uh, Bruno Fernandes, 10.5 million, coming up against Spurs next. Penalty taker, just to annoy Mr. Jose Mourinho. Wouldn't be surprised if we yeah, just saw. Yeah, he scored a penalty in the restart, don't forget. That was the first game back, he scored a penalty. Yes, back. yeah, and it would be pretty funny to find uh, Bruno Fernandes nailing a penalty just to drive Mourinho crazy, and it could happen. It could yeah, very well happen. It could happen indeed. I remember that I removed him on my free hit and uh, he scored a penalty and I was very, very... I wasn't upset at all. I was just I was like, oh, that's always going to happen. Right, okay, you, next You question. were doing the yoga at that point or on I, the craft beer yeah, at that stage. I think I was on the beer <laughs> rather than doing yoga. Right, okay, next question. Um, Werner slash Martial replacements. So Andrew Helmstetter and FPL O'Heary ask, what are we doing with Martial and or Werner? Um, so they've noted that um, I own Martial and Nick uh, owns Werner. Anthony, do you own either? Uh, Werner? <laughs> On the so, so what are we doing with these guys? Obviously, there's a lot of market activity around them, a bit of a fire sale, uh, truth be told, and both dropped in price. So, so what are we doing? Those two guys ask. Um, Anthony, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I've already outlined the allure of Kane, and so if you haven't got Harry Kane in your side, there's easy straight swap there at 10.5 mil. Just find a little bit more bank and <laughs> find the million out of nowhere, guys. Yeah, just find find a little bit more bank and off you go with a pretty good striker there in Harry Kane. Um, of course, coming up against United next, whose defence hasn't exactly been all that impressive so far. Um, whilst Calvert-Lewin is seemingly definitely the better pick so far, Richarlison's underlying stats remain quite good and doubling up on Everton as ridiculous as it might sound, um, it might have sounded a few weeks ago, doesn't sound like a bad option now. And then there is, of course, Raul Jimenez, we were talking about that, Fulham coming up next means that you'd, ha- you'd have to consider him Consider him just because of that. You'd be nuts not to. And of course, look, he's, he's shown us over years that we can expect good performances from him and he was the postman for so long and I expect him to return to that role quite soon. Danny Ings as well, West Brom, next. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, I think it's a choice between Ings and um, Jimenez, isn't it? So Game week one all over again. It's, it's, it's targeting teams again as well. So Ings has West Brom at home. They've conceded 11, Fulham conceded 10. Jimenez says Fulham at home. Ideally, I'd want both, to be honest, if I could. And certainly, like, I'm kind of flitting between the two. I was kind of thinking about Jimenez. Now I'm starting to think about Danny Ings again, because Danny Ings seems to have the, the form perhaps a little bit more compared to Jimenez. So he might be the one that I end up going with and then hope to cover walls with, with Podence if he's fit. So it might be Ings that I end up going with. But I think those two are perhaps the, the key key men that I'd pull out. And I'd probably suggest those as the two picks ahead of um you know, these kind of hipster picks of Calvert-Lewin and Bamford that seem to be floating around a little bit as well. Anything to avoid getting Paddy in your team, ain't it? Um, hipster pick, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, top uh, scorer in the Premier League. Uh, <laughs> the only man to have risen 0.4. Um, yeah, okay. So um, on this one then, guys, I've, I was looking at it actually. I own Martial and these guys own Werner. And I, I was looking at it on um, I think it was on Saturday night. He was about to drop and... Um, I, I had the I even got as far as the confirm screen, uh, Martial to Ings. And I had a few beers. I had a few beers, you know. Um but for some reason this sort of lucidity came over me that it was probably better to have two free transfers at the end during international break when everything goes all COVID mad than to do a mid game week transfer for the sake of zero point one. So I left it. He's now down to zero point uh, eight point nine. I feel like the sunk cost fallacy has kicked in. I feel like, well, I've lost that money now. I'm never going to recover that. So I might as well just keep going and roll the transfer. Yeah, all right. This week, I'm absolutely petrified of Mr. Ings against West Brom. And I'm also 
fairly petrified that Vardy's going to start a streak. Um, but the thing is, and there's, there's that Kane fella, but you know, he, he plays in defensive midfield, right? Um, but I mean, the thing is, is that I think it's better to have three, two free transfers to enable me to do like a real wholesale change after the national break with all that information. Um, and I, I think that at the moment I'm going to be leaving Martial in just because he can, he's the kind of guy who can go from one week being totally not asked to the next week being the superstar who gets a brace out of nowhere. And um, so I'm going to be hoping that's true and leaving it for the time being. But yeah, I mean, I can understand people are selling. I can understand why you guys are both uh, potentially looking at selling Werner. I wouldn't be surprised when it comes to transfers and captains. Um, if you've turned around and gone, yeah, I've got rid of him already, especially for Jimenez, who I already own. If you don't own Neverson striker and Richardson or um, DCL, I understand that probably worth doing, but I already own Richardson. But yeah, me owning Jimenez probably means that you guys are both buying in Jimenez. I already have him, so that's quite, ni- quite nice for me that I can then roll the transfer. Whereas you guys over the international break will not be able to roll the transfer. So swings. I'll be using my wild card. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> but I'll have my wild card in in situ. You know, the swings at roundabouts, as they say. And the final thing, a matter of time. FPL Dempsey asks: Are we finding the fixtures across the weekend? adds to our enjoyment of FPL or causes unnecessary decision fatigue or overthinking as things happen. Um, so I think this is actually quite an interesting question because I mean, I'm in a few DM groups and I obviously um, I watch FPL Twitter and obviously we've got our little kind of Slack that we keep alluding to. And it's really interesting, not so much on our Slack, but on FPL Twitter and on the FPL DM groups to just see the, the, the wind shaking bastions of logic I'm sure. oh absolutely the the weather vane just moves from side to side throughout the game week you know you have everybody in one player during the game week this other guy scores and suddenly they're all on that player and they completely ignore the first kind of thing it is absolutely fascinating to see how it changes it really is and um i think that it is probably a product of the fact that we're seeing these fixtures in a staggered formation and each game gets its own sort of individual sense of uh, analysis and evaluation which you don't quite get when all the games are together at the 3 p.m um and to that extent, I do think it causes at least a sense of decision fatigue and overthinking because the amount of 180s I've seen, be it in a group chat or be it on a Twitter account saying, I've, you know, I'm definitely doing this. And then kind of four hours later tweeting, oh, yeah, no, I've done this now. Um, it times up number I've seen. I'm not blaming anybody. It, it does happen. It's just a fact of life. If you put your opinion out there. Nothing wrong with it. I've done it many a time. Um, but it is incredible, really. And I think it is kind of the, the product of the spread of the fixtures on the weekend. Um, the fact is that I don't look at my, um, as, a, as a rule, I don't look at my rank during the week. And I, I, I do obviously look at my points, but I just don't look at my rank. Or, or if I don't look at it, I don't really kind of take it to heart. Because it doesn't matter. And at the end of the end is what counts. And at the end is when you start kind of making for me at least decisions or conclusions around what I've seen there's no point in the first game we're going I really want that guy my god he scored and then by the second game you're like oh this guy's also scored I don't I, maybe I want him um, having a running commentary yeah fair enough it makes sense but it's just not for me it's not, it's, it, I'm more of the school of if I've got nothing constructive to say I'm going to say nothing until I've got something constructive to say um, what do you guys think about this has the rolling fixtures uh, changed uh, and impacted your decision fatigue or overthinking Ultimately, it, it has like extended our sort of weekends a little bit in terms of the football because it's not the case that oh, okay, you know, you've got a bunch of games going on at three pm on a Saturday. You might have a couple of live games on a Sunday, and you know a couple of other live games perhaps on the Saturday, and, that, and that's basically it. Right now, it's kind of like you know the, the games start at midday, and, and you know they're, they're going on until sort of nine o'clock at night, and. Uh, 
and you know it's over the course of three days and you've got all these live games and it is kind of it's quite wearing and it does kind of you know you see a lot of people stressing out saying you know i've had a terrible game week when in fact they've only actually had four of their assets play so far and it's just because someone that they don't own has, has gone and scored a hat trick or, or something <laughs> along those lines and you know, i'm guilty of it as well when i was having my breakdown over dominic calvert lewin and me too which ended up being a very bad game for me but you know um i think ultimately it does it does add to the enjoyment of course you know because everyone's having lots of fun watching all the football and getting lots of fun but then you know i think it does kind of again you know dempsey's got it Right, it does also, it does both basically. It does cause enjoyment, but does also create a little bit of decision fatigue as well and overthinking and overanalysis, perhaps. Yeah, maybe just to kind of add on to it, like uh, there is an element for me that. And I'm, I, I do know that I've we've had one zoomed out talking about our conversation about FPL already, and I kind of took a very negative view on like the world around us and <laughs> everything, the context within which the games are happening. And I think that definitely affects what's going on as much as the fact that the fixtures are spread out. But it does lead to a football fatigue, but also a football discourse fatigue. Like this weekend, especially just the drawn out crescendo about penalties and genuinely just drove me off Twitter for most of Sunday because I just couldn't bear to watch it anymore and I would say as well that there are a lot more tepid takes coming out of people during games and Tom's alluded to this a bit but some of these can be extremely daft based on the wide array of eye tests some from more practiced eyes than others and I think it it means that if you were using just Twitter and opinion as a way to kind of gauge warmth towards a player or something, it's it's much harder to do that. And maybe maybe this kind of lends a an insight into me per, placing too much weight on just the overall like feeling in the community towards a player and whether I should be you know considering them extra extra hard. And like I'm not taking this from the point of view of I don't want to miss out, but it's more just like I have to make sure that I'm not going to miss out because I'm blocking out some player because of whatever stats I've looked at that these people are taking some other conclusion about. Um, so, so it's like, does it add to my FPL enjoyment? Yes and no. Like there's absolutely so much more to get from it because I feel like I can, if you have a good, a good eye, and I don't know if I do, but if you feel like you have a good eye for picking something out from watching games and having a better opportunity to watch more games, then you definitely can get much more satisfaction from something going right for your FPL team. Whereas there are, of course, still so much just unnecessary information kind of being plugged <laughs> into the mind that it can cause a fatigue over time. Exactly. I think it it just kind of adds to the onus upon you as being a discerning consumer of information. I think that's basically the watchword, isn't it? But yeah. um, there are a lot more opinions because there's a lot more focus on a particular fixture in isolation and that continues 10 times per game week. And then it's just the case of kind of for some things, identifying them as just being kind of irrational anger, fair enough, just leave that be. But there are a few kind of great places and you find them for yourself. I'm not going to recommend anybody um, that you think, okay, I agree with that, or at least that's very useful. That challenges my view or that helps me kind of analyze my view, evaluate my view, put it in context. And as I said, it's just about you being a conscientious and discerning uh, consumer of information. Um, Hopefully by listening to this podcast, you think that 
our views are very useful for that. Right, okay, let's move on to the transfers and captains. And uh, yeah, in terms of being a, uh, a discerning consumer, or a discerning listener, you probably would have intuited that I'm leaving my team this week. Um, the only thing that I'm going to be kind of uh, weighing up is whether I captain Jimenez against Fulham or whether I captain De Bruyne against Leeds. I think both games are going to be a bit mad. Obviously, Jimenez is not particularly noted for being explosive um, but I mean, if he's going to score his uh, multi uh, multi return week of the season it's probably going to be going to be as Fulham isn't it but that Man City leads Bielsa versus Guardiola Padawan versus Master could be an absolute explosion of goals it could be easily a 5-4 or something like that so you probably back KDB to be involved I don't know yet him feels like a, a nine pointer at least is, is, a, is just guaranteed so maybe i'll be looking at that and christ knows by the fact of how mad the season has been i wouldn't be shocked if leeds man city was nil nil so there you go all right what have you guys uh done with Werner then uh anthony i've done nothing so far but i'm i'm kind of weighing up that ings jimenez uh one of the two and that's probably all that's going to happen for me it'll be either Ings or Jimenez in for Werner. Although I do wonder if just the way the season has gone, maybe going back to that idea, that is this the week that by selling Werner, he goes off and gets a brace against Crystal Palace, who haven't been, you know, all that interest, like all that uh, brilliant in defence uh, in spite of having, I guess, a, a victory against United. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily rule out the chance of Werner suddenly finding the net there. Um, but that's it. Uh, De Bruyne a captain against Leeds seems like the simple option. If I brought in Ings, I think I would be considering him. I don't think I'd captain Jimenez if I brought him in. Yeah, I think for me, as I said, it's the same scenario as St. Werner. I haven't done any moves yet. I've actually got a couple of yellow flags in the team opponents and Vardy, so I'm probably just going to hopefully hear that those guys are fit and raring to go, and then I'll, I'll make a move. So it's probably going to be Werner out for Ings or Jimenez. Not sure which at the moment. I did actually have the armband on Salah, but I'm starting to rethink that a little bit, considering Aston Villa haven't conceded yet and seem to be ridiculously defensive, so defensively solid so far. So I might have to consider that um, captaincy and maybe I'll put it on De Bruyne or maybe even one of the guys that comes into the team, England Jimenez, something I don't really like doing. You're bringing in the player and giving them the armband straight away, but I might consider it. So very much up in the air in terms of my captain haven't picked for certain and my transfer stood up in the air as well. So inconclusive. Just to say who we are, of course, we are Who Got the Assist. Thanks very much, guys, for listening. If you're a new listener and enjoyed the pod, make sure to hit that subscribe button and give us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed it as well. Really appreciate a five-star review. Yeah, Rue would be absolutely brilliant. If you want to join the mini league, if you're not in it already, the code is CPSULF. We'll be back next week when hopefully things will be an awful lot better. And we will also have a correspondence section then. So get your correspondence into who got the assist at gmail.com. <laughs> yep, uh, thanks very much. Uh, we hope we assisted Make Sense of the Madness. Good luck in game week four. Hopefully it will be better for everybody, um, ourselves included, and speak to you next week, hopefully in a more jubilant fashion. Goodbye. See ya. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.